0: Well, hey, everybody, welcome to the Anything But Typical podcast. And we've got a treat for you today. We've got Aaron Padgett, um, who owns a couple businesses, and we'll go into that deeper. But, uh, Aaron, what I like to do on the front end of these uh, podcasts is I like to ask a question, and I'm going to also change it up a little bit because one of my friends is also one of your friends, and you probably don't even know that. Okay. Um, And she's a client, and she's one of my favorite entrepreneurs, and she was one of the first guests on the Anything But Typical podcast, Tana Green.
1: I love Tana. Too funny. Small world. I love Tana.
0: Yeah, and so here's what she said about you on a post, and then we'll get into the question. But I did a little teaser post on you that we launched Sunday night, and, and on the Instagram version of it, she said... Love her. She did my daughter's wedding. She is a true entrepreneur. And I'm telling you, coming from Tana Green, who is probably one of the best respected female entrepreneurs in in this region for sure, but probably in the country, that's a huge compliment. So I just wanted to let you and the listeners know that you've got a huge fan of Tana green and anybody that's listening, if they haven't listened to the Tana green episode, which was done earlier this year, go back to the anything but typical podcast um, library and check that out. So here's the question for you, Aaron. I know you're a big shopper and you got a house recently. And so you are out at birthday village and you're looking for the next perfect uh, home accoutrements with your family and somebody uh, walks by you and they didn't realize that they are walking by you but they were talking about you and you were able to hear what they said about you what is it that you would like somebody to be saying about you Aaron?
1: I think the number one thing that I would really enjoy is if someone talked about how genuine that i am as a human being um i'd like to be the same person in any situation you know you can vary that a little but if you see me at my home if you see me at work if you see me out for dinner it's the same person that you get it's very authentic and very genuine so my hope would be that people would say that my guess would be they would talk about my really high energy um, because i am a very energetic human being but hopefully with a little sprinkle of authenticity mixed in (laughs)
0: I love that. What a great way to kick this thing off.
2: (laughs) And I can certainly attest to each of those that you, when you meet Aaron, you, you get Aaron, right? There is no, there is no shell. This is authentic Aaron, hundred percent. So we're going to dive into Aaron's story and and Gary's going to kick us off on that. But the two businesses that Gary had alluded to earlier that Aaron owns, one is called Bluebird Bridal, which is a bridal boutique in Huntersville and Aaron Paget Events, which is also located in Huntersville. So, Gary, I want to send it over to you and, and get us started on Aaron's entrepreneurial journey a little bit.
0: Yeah, so Aaron, one of my favorite questions is like, you know, did you have this burning desire to be an entrepreneur when you were a little girl, or at what point did that bug hit you?
1: Uh, no, not when I was a little girl, you know, I'm like, Ooh, I want to be a doctor or nurse. Yeah. No. Um, I was always the creative one growing up. So I have two older sisters and both of them are like incredibly intelligent women. I mean, smarter than smart. I was the creative one. I'm the youngest. And I was always like, Ooh, she's the one playing in the dirt. And so there, I had to do something different than your traditional job. So Um, believe it or not, entrepreneurship pseudo fell into my lap, but then once you get your taste of it, it's really hard to get out of it. Um, I went to college. I worked full time at a country club while I was in college, uh, planning their events. So I was planning their golf tournaments, their weddings, their member events while going to school full time. And I just learned so much more. I felt college was a wonderful experience, but I felt like I learned so much more in the workplace that I couldn't wait to get out and get started. (laughs) <laughs> um, and so, you know, I ended up working for a couple of people, I did some marketing, did some PR work, uh, did some event work. And then unfortunately for me, I got really sick. Um, and so I was out of work for a short period of time. I'm much healthier now. Things are fine. Um, but I was out of work and when I was out of work and I was sick, I thought to myself, this can't be all it is this nine to five gig, this like monotonous routine. This can't be what life's about. And so I just decided on a whim, I was out to eat, Uh, this is not a joke, I was out to eat at a Five Guys Burger place, and I was sitting to eat, and I grabbed a receipt, and I started writing a business plan, because I said, I'm over this humdrum stuff, I'm going to make something for myself, I don't care if I go broke, I'm going to freaking do it, and so I wrote a business plan on the back of a Five Guys receipt, and started my wedding planning business, which is Aaron Padgett Events in August of 2013 and within nine months I had booked 30 clients so yeah. I well one I was too cheap let's just be for real here like I probably <laughs> was way too cheap because I was desperate at that point and and two you know I, marketing's my thing so I had that background to get me started but entrepreneurship was definitely not something I thought when I was little um but it once it fell into my lap I'm like oh never again will I do the nine to five never <laughs>
0: What is it about, um, so you've been doing this now for seven years, right? Um,
1: yeah, so on my own, yep, we're going into our eighth year right now.
0: I mean, that's really gutsy, and, and it's got, it takes grit, and it takes vision, and it takes passion, and it's, it's apparent you've got, <laughs> you've got all of those things in spades, which is, <laughs> awesome. I mean, you are, you are positively infectious, there's no doubt about it um talk to us about some of the uh, um most surprising things good or bad and challenging things along the way
1: so uh you know one of the things that was the hardest for me was making my family and friends convincing them that i was really going to make a go of this To them, it was a hobby, you know, oh, you're just gonna plan some events on the side. Anyone who just is like, oh, you're just an event planner or you're just a wedding planner, come work with me for one day, just one day. And then all of a sudden you'll realize that it's not glitz and glam as everyone thinks it is. Um, But convincing, you know, my family that look, no, like this is what I'm doing. I'm gonna make a go of this, it really matters, was probably one of the more challenging things um, that I found, because I come from a family of engineers, and um nine to five workers and dentists and things like that. And so they're very used to the traditional job roles. And so that was a really challenging thing, especially in the beginning. But I told myself that I was willing to give any any new business that I start, I'm willing to give it three years. And I was gonna give it three years, come hell or high water, because you can't tell within a year, good God, if somebody had started a business this year in a pandemic, do not use that for what you think. It's gonna be like, sorry, I have a cat. Look, did you see her tail? Sorry. Um, so like, you've got to give it some time and you've got to give yourself a little bit of grace for the learning curve. And so for me, I was gonna give everything three years. So I signed a three year lease at an office because that was my three years. And so I was gonna do it. And so I did. And I did the same thing when I opened my bridal shop. I signed a three year lease because I said, I am going to give this everything I've got for three years. So the first big challenge was convincing others that it was a real job. I think that was challenge number one. Um, at the time I was married and that was another challenge to convince my significant other at the time that it was a true business because it was not viewed that way. Um, so that was challenge number one. I think another challenge that I came up with is that interim pageant events is a service business. I don't have a product that I'm giving anyone. It's me. You have to like me. You have to want to hang around me because we talk together all the time. So I realized really early on as a wedding planner that I was selling me. I wasn't selling any sort of product. So I did the wedding planning business for three and a half years before I opened the bridal shop. And then I went into retail. And that is the polar opposite (laughs) of a service business because I would have brides come into the bridal shop. And I would give them a wonderful experience and we would hit it off. And I'm like, oh my God, you like me and I like you. And then they wouldn't buy. And I was like, I don't understand. Like we have this great connection. And so it was a mind shift from a service business to a retail business or a product business. And I have had to learn the difference between the two, how to market them, how to reach the target audience, how to help the people understand what it is I'm providing in each business. And so I feel like it makes me a little more well-rounded to have both areas, but it's not from a lot of failures. I mean, to tell you, I would be pissed off a bride would not buy. I'm like, but you liked me, so why are you not buying? Like, I don't <laughs> understand. And so it definitely took some time getting used to that because I'm so used to just building the relationships. And that is what I love to do. And so I think those are some of the biggest challenges there at the beginning. Having others know that it was a true passion and I was really going to do it and then learning the difference of service and product and how to really promote that, you know, to the world and to my target audiences. Those are, I think my early on challenges.
2: So you had mentioned a few minutes ago, the background in marketing, right? And obviously that's, that's an incredible skill or ability to have in your back pocket when you're starting a business. So talk a little bit about how that, your career past led to success in running your first company? Because to go from the back of a receipt to 30 clients in nine months, obviously you were able to hit the ground running. So talk a little bit about how that background led into early success.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I have a degree in marketing communications. That's where it came from. And as wonderful as that was, you learn by doing. Um, so I worked at the country club at the age of 15. I was driving the beer cart, so my first job. My mom like signed the paper, like you're good. Go drive the beer cart. I'm sorry. My dog has a squeak toy, Luna. <laughs> um, so I was driving the beer cart around and then I worked my way up there to be their, um, full service, basically event manager. So I had that background and had to market myself and learn the wedding industry. I then went to work for a marketing company for a year and a half where I did full blown marketing plans. And I have to give credit to the um, boss that I had there who really, really gave me free reign and brought me in under every project. I was 22 years old, and she literally took me under her wing. And for a solid year, I went to every meeting with her. I read every article she did, and I looked through every plan, and that was probably really beneficial for me learning it. Um, from there, I went to work at a printing company doing their sales and marketing. So marketing is all I know. It's about the only thing I'm freaking good at. So we might as well stick with it. Um, but I learned different tactics for each, each one. I would say that learn by doing is the biggest one that I've ever done. Um, you can read every article. You can listen to podcasts, which are wonderful and fantastic, but putting it into action is another big thing. Uh, one of the very first things in my wedding planning business, they have these things called style shoots, which are essentially like if you're look, looking at a magazine or you're looking online at a blog, they're usually fake photos. They're usually a model who's standing there as a bride with a fake bouquet and a fake cake. And it looks glamorous because it's inspiration for a wedding. I realized how important those were. And so in my first year of business, I did 16 style shoots. Now, most people do like two a year. I did 16. I'm a little bit of an overachiever. It's just who I am. And I thought the only way for me to get to know people in this industry is to do this. And so, my background of creating the relationships is what brought me into doing the styled shoots. And so, I made a relationship. Every shoot had a different vendor, a different photographer, a different bride, a different florist, a different baker. And that's how I got to know everyone very quickly in the industry. I kind of immersed myself into it. Um, and I think that's where it happened. And again, by doing, if I do it wrong, fine, I fail, but at least I tried. And so that's, that's kind of how I went about that situation.
2: Yeah. And one of the, one of the most impressive pieces about you is running both of the companies because it's not just like you own two businesses, you are running each one in that day to day, right? This is, this is certainly not a hands-off type situation. So talk a little bit, I, I really want to get into balancing two businesses. So talk a little bit about first how that time is divided between each company and then we'll go from there.
1: Yeah. So obviously I'm glutton for punishment. One business wasn't <laughs> enough. Let's just open a second one. Um, but they're two, they're so different. As I was talking with Gary, it's service versus product. So they're so different. Um, the balancing act, I have to be honest, is is an act every single day. Um, I try really hard, Tuesdays are typically my days that I'm always at the bridal shop. So on Tuesdays, I don't typically have meetings with any planning, it's usually my bridal shop day. And that makes life easy. Weekends are pretty much almost always dedicated to actual events, because that's when people get married, that's when events happen, when they were happening, you know, that's when they happen. Um, And so balancing them becomes a situation sometimes of what is needing my attention more. I'm fortunate enough to have staff on both sides that are wonderful, wonderful people who I know can handle it, but I like to be involved. So I go, what's the priority? And so, you know, normally during wedding planning season, during the fall, you'll have a very large surge of weddings that happen because the weather's beautiful here in North Carolina. And so everyone wants to get married. And so oftentimes my crew at the bridal shop realize that they're only going to see me on a Tuesday. That's it. That's all you get for the week during the fall season and spring season, you'll see me on Tuesday. But during the off seasons, I spend more time at the bridal shop preparing and promoting for things that are gonna happen moving forward. I would say for good and bad, I probably work 60 some odd hours a week. And usually it's a 20 hour, 40 hour split um, based on who needs more. So if the bridal shop needs a little more, then I usually am there three or four days a week plus doing work at home. If the planning needs more, then it's the opposite way. Um, but I try to do that twenty forty because I can't be 100% to both of them. I know that. That's why I hired good people. Um, so the balancing act, I have to be honest, is, is an act that happens on the daily. I've, I have not perfected it. I am a Libra, which is like the scales, you know, so it's supposed to balance you out. But I still do it on the daily. <laughs> and
2: and why, why did you end up going that route, right? You have this events company. You're three and a half years in. Things are rolling. And then you decide to go into retail and certainly related, right? You're going from yeah. planning weddings to a bridal boutique, but it's still a very different business model, different company. You're doing another startup. Why, why go that route and, and do two companies instead of lasering focus on the events business?
1: Yeah, and I, I hope I don't offend any other wedding planners with this situation, um, but wedding planning has a timeline. I am gonna grow out of being able to really connect with younger brides. So I'm 36 years old. And so when I started this eight years ago, I was in my 20s, and I had a good connection with those younger brides. Now that I'm in my 30s, I connect with the 30-year-old brides. There aren't an extensive amount of 40, 50, 60-year-old brides. People get married all the time, but that have the bigger weddings and hire the planners for it. And so you sort of age yourself out to a certain degree of wedding planning. And I knew that eventually that would happen. Also, let it be known that wedding planning is the most mentally and physically exhausting job I've ever had in my entire life. I love it and it makes me happy and my heart sings and all of that is great. But you are literally responsible for the oversee of someone's, one of their biggest days of their life. Most of them up until that moment, it is the biggest day of their life. They may go on to have children and other big days of their life, but at their moment, it's that day and it all rests on your shoulders. So you can't take that lightly. It's like, oh crap, like I got to make this happen and I got to do it right. So there's a lot of stress, unfortunately, and and some exhaustion that comes with that. And so I knew that eventually my body was going to give me out. My body and my mind were going to give out of it over time. And so I wanted something that was more residual income on the side. With wedding planning, it is a wonderful job and I love it, but nobody does wedding planning to get rich. It does not work like that. There are only so many weekends in a year that you can work. There is only so much money you can charge based on the industry. And so at some point, you're going to hit a maximum capacity. And so I needed something else that was much more residual and would consistently flow. And so that's what made me think into the bridal shops. I've always been into fashion. Like I said, I'm the creative one. I used to like make myself dresses out of paper and, you know, toilet paper and like do fun things like that and cut out things. And so I've always did some research, of course. And realized that there there was a little bit of a hole in the market in Lake Norman for a bridal shop of what I provide, what we offer there, the the designers, we offer the the price points, the experience. There was a hole in that, and so when I realized that, I started it. Um, and again, I if I say I'm going to do something, I do it, and I do it very quickly. And for good and bad, everyone just jumps on board. Anybody who works for me, you can you can ask them if I get an idea, we're doing it. Um, and so that that was kind of the reason I started it was for additional income in the future. And knowing that at some point I was going to phase out a wedding planning, I think I probably have a year left in me of wedding planning and then we'll phase into, you know, owning the bridal shops. So that was kind of the purpose of starting that years ago. And the bridal shop started in 2016. So we're in four years now. Right.
0: So I'm going to go back to the five guys. Um, Lightning strikes and and, and manifests itself on the on your receipt. Do you still have the receipt?
1: So sadly, I don't. I moved three times this year, and somewhere in everything, it has magically disappeared. But I kept it for a while, for sure.
0: Oh my goodness! Yeah, because I, I, you know, that'd be one of those things like what you would find in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in Cleveland, where you see, you know. Uh, Jimi Hendrix's, you know, stuff that he drew when he was five years old, and they still have that,
1: you know. No, I know. I was so bummed about it. You know, it's it's been a rough year. It's been a rough year with the pandemic and the moves here. But um, I had it for a long time. It meant a lot to me for a really long time. Yeah.
0: So the recent one of the reasons, I mean, that's a funny story, which I really like. <laughs> Um, But one of the reasons I want to zero in on that a little bit is because I think a lot of times we can overcomplicate stuff, especially if we've been in academia, gone to college, blah, blah, blah. We like to make simple things complex and we feel important by doing it, you know, And, and I think a lot of times I've seen this with other people that have that spark, but they get bogged down by the armor that you're supposed to wear. Well, this is what it looks like to wear, you know, to be a king or a queen. And you got to wear all this armor. And like, no, David just had a sling and some stones. You know, I'm like, (laughs) no, take that stuff off. And so when you a receipt, unless it's you know a mile long receipt, which I doubt that the Five Guys receipt was, it's still a pretty small piece of real estate. What did you write on there? Just some some of the things, and and given your back, marketing background, what were some of the uniquenesses that made you feel like, hey, this has a shot of being differentiating?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So the first thing that I wrote on that was literally the three or four things that I had to have to be a business. It was like, I need a logo. I need it to be legal with the government. I need a website and I need a name. And that was my start. I don't really care where it was going to take me from there. What am I calling this business? So I got to get a website that'll meet it. I need my logo and then hell let's make it legal. Right? That was my basic start, and that's where anyone should start. You don't have to overcomplicate it and do your three to five year plan. To this day, I need this not to be a judgment on my entrepreneurship. To this day, I have yet to do a three or five year plan for any business because that all goes to hell in a handbasket when you have a pandemic. And so I just go one year at a time. Um, but so I'll never see, had those four basic things. Then under that, It was, what do I want people, just like you asked me earlier, Gary, what do I want people to say about me? What is it that I want to provide that I feel like I'm good at? And so at the bottom, it was characteristics that I wrote about myself that I felt like would make me good for the job. So I had put authenticity or genuineness. That was one area that I put in. I put in, I wanted to do, one of the biggest things that I wanted to do as a wedding planner was to do cultural weddings. So I made a note about cultural weddings because I said, I wanna be the wedding planner if someone is doing an Indian wedding. I wanna be the wedding planner if someone is doing a Chinese or a Korean or what they call fusion weddings where you're fusing together Indian and American. Like I wanna be that girl. So cultural weddings was a piece that I wrote down because it's a target market that I could hit. Instead of saying, oh, anybody who's having a wedding can hire me. I knew I needed to narrow it down to things that were of interest to me. So I wanted to be genuine. I wanted to do cultural weddings. I wanted to be realistic and honest. In weddings, people live in this um, Pinterest, Instagram fantasy world. And it's, I have a love hate with Pinterest. Man, do I love some Pinterest for, my, for myself. Look at how pretty this is for my home. Ooh, I love this. Look at that cute dog. Like I'm gonna make this recipe. I love some Pinterest. But when it comes to a wedding and someone shows you a picture that again were those style shoot things that I was talking about and I have one hour to set it up and it's a six hour display, it's that realistic portion that has to come into play. So one of the big pieces that I wanted to be was logistical and realistic about weddings. I want to make it your dream. I want you to get everything you want, but we have to be realistic as well about A, what, it, what parameters we have to work in, and B, a budget or a time frame that we have. So those were some of the things on the receipt. There was nothing like step one, step two, I must talk to, gosh, no, it was like, all right, give me a name, a logo, a website, and let's make it legal. And then there was a handful of things that to me was, this is what I need to bring to the table. In order to make this work for me this is what I need to bring one of the other things that I had to have personally was an office outside of my home I am more productive as a human being if I get up and I leave my home now right now I know so many people are working from home and I think it works great for some people and maybe not so great for other people but for for me and myself I had to get out and I knew that and so that was another piece I had to have an office office. I had to have somewhere that I could go where I could put out all the other distractions and really focus in. So my small real estate receipt really just had my four basics and then a list of things I wanted to provide. And once I got my basics, I went into how, when I was able to write my about me for the website, when I was able to write about the services and why I'm different, I went back to why I'm different. What you see is what you get. I have a history in this. I want to do culture. I want to do this. And so it was this big list that helped people to get to know me as a person better. Because again, I was selling me. They didn't care what my pictures looked like. If they didn't like me, they weren't going to hire me.
0: Yeah. I, there's a lot in that one for anybody listening to this that I hope you take some stuff away. Um, you know, keep it simple but also understand who you're serving and what's important to them and have that be interlocked with what's important to you. Because if you're just serving somebody based on what you think the market need is, but you don't have a passion for it, it's not probably gonna make it to your three-year horizon that you've set out, which I also thought was really wise, Aaron, because, um, you know, having a, a three-year t- horizon to say I'm going to give it my best, I think that's about right. You know, yeah. I know some people that have done it sooner than that, and some that took a little bit later. But but three-year window is about right, I think. To if you're going to give it all all you got.
1: Yeah, and I feel like you can't look to year one to be profitable let's just be real. You know, you're learning. I think I read somewhere and I don't know, it, you know, it takes six months to learn a job and a year and a half to really perfect it. And so to imagine yourself trying to open a brand new business in year one, I've made millions. It's like, whoa, like this is not year one. When you get to the end of year one, you should throw a party that you made it through the year. <laughs> Literally grab a glass of wine, a beer, a balloon, Dr. Pepper, whatever you want and be like, "Woohoo, I did it. Like I did this one year accomplishment. And so the three years was always something that was non-negotiable for me. Any business that I start, if in the future I start any other businesses, three years is my mark. At the end of that, you can reevaluate. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But you know what? You tried it. And uh, that's kind of my mentality is just to give things a try. If they don't work, then you learn from them. But you'll never know unless you try it.
2: What I find interesting from that is you gave yourself this three-year timeline, but you didn't let yourself plan for three years. I feel like it would have been easy saying, "Okay, here's my three years. This is what it's going to look like at the end." But but you didn't. You stayed in the month to month, and and the maximum you said is one year. Um, was that something you had to do conscious to say, "Okay, here's my timeline of three years," but I need to stay in the moment, or is that just a natural thing for
1: you? Oh, that's natural. I am a spontaneous human being, I can change my mind on food three times at a restaurant. So trying to be like, Oh, three years from now, this is like, there's no way. I was good with saying, okay, this season, I can look at this quarter and see what it is I want to do. I can look at this season with wedding planning, you know, things are 12 to 18 months in advance. So I could book a wedding today for April of 2022. So then that gives me a year and a half that I have that one in my, in my mindset, essentially. So that one was a little easier to plan out years at a time because you could see things coming down the pipeline. Uh, the bridal shop is, is a little different, but I, I just think it's a big challenge that you don't even know sometimes where your personal life will be in three years, let alone where your business could be. So a year was my maximum and I could give myself, I'd like to accomplish these things. And again, back to the list. When I said at the end of a year, what do I want to accomplish? it was that simple stuff. It was not, I want to make X amount of dollars. It was, I want to have relationships with these many new vendors. I want to do one wedding of this particular type. I want to book at this. I want to create a relationship. It was very simple. Expecting it to be anything bigger is no way. Like, please let me have a thousand Instagram followers that may make my life. Like, you know, like they were very small pieces that would grow over time.
2: So we could keep talking about the balancing of two businesses probably for the rest of this episode, but I want to send it over to Gary to talk about the rebranding of the bridal boutique. We have so much more that I, I want to hear from you. So. Sure.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's a passion of mine too. And I mean, it's clear that you get differentiation, you know, I mean, um, marketing was a, a natural place for you to go. And, um, and that's one of those things that I, I, I know that doesn't come natural to every entrepreneur. Um, So in in many ways, you're really blessed to have that. Um, Talk about the process of changing a brand from one name to another. The, the, you know, like how did you determine what you're going to call it and um, iconography and that sort of thing. I'm, I'm just curious about the process that you
1: chose. Yeah, absolutely. So the bridal shop when it was open was called Paige and Elliot and we had two owners, uh, when it was open back in 2016. And, um, at the beginning of this year, I bought out the other owner. And so it was just me. And so in doing that, I felt like it needed a new facelift. I felt like, you know, we had these two ownerships and sometimes that works and sometimes that doesn't. And it was time to do something new. So the name, I have to be honest, was a massive challenge. I, was like, holy crap, I have no idea. Like, do I want, if I want to franchise this, what do I want it to look like, like what to do. And so I put it out to the universe. In terms of universe, I mean family and closest friends. That's my universe. Yeah. Um, I put it out to them and said, I need help. Any suggestions, any ideas, anything you got, throw it at me. And then I literally went back to the four basics from the five guys received. I need a logo, I need a name, I need a logo, I need a website, I got to make it legal. I did the exact same thing over again. So once I got to the name, so it's called Bluebird Bridal. And the name came about because my sister lives in Wilmington, North Carolina. She's on a golf course. And she was sitting out on her patio or porch or whatever fanciness she has one day. And she has birdhouses everywhere. And there was a bluebird out there. And she's like, oh, it's so pretty, bluebird. She's like, I wonder what that means. And she looked it up. And a bluebird is a symbol of joy and happiness for the future, which is exactly what we wish for any bride who comes into the bridal shop. We want them to have the joy, the happiness. It's a sign of good luck, good fortune, joy for your future happiness. And I'm going to be honest, I'm not a huge bird person. They kind of freak me out, like the movies and the birds and all that. But the bluebirds are very pretty and sweet, so like I'm okay with it. So my sister sends me this like bluebird and instantly I'm like, "Ooh, it says bird. Like, I'm not sure. Like, I don't know if I can do this. And I did a little further research on it and what it meant and was like, Oh my gosh, this is perfect. Meanwhile, once I told I have um, some team members with a team of five of us at the bridal shop and I told the other girls, Hey, look, I'm thinking about this name. Let it marinate. Let me know what you guys think. Because one of the biggest things about having a team is including them. The second you start including them, they take ownership in your business. And so I included them. The next day, one of the girls who works for me was having breakfast and a bluebird shows up at her window. And she said the thing was like pecking at her window and looking at her. I was like, done. It's a sign. God (laughs) sent me a sign. That's what it is. So once we had the name, then it was just a matter of the legality. The website was just changing the website and tweaking a little bit. Um, and the logo, uh, logo. I honestly, I had done online. I have a good friend um, on Etsy who does custom pieces. Had that done that way. Um, legally, I just did a DBA. You know, I already had an S corp form with my other one, and if I were to get a whole brand new S corp, I lose my tax ID. I lose, which means I would lose all of my reviews and everything I've built over the last three over three years. So I did a DBA. So technically, the business still legally has Paige and Elliot behind it, but we're a DBA of Bluebird Bridal doing business as. And so because of that, I was able just to make it a very smooth transition. In terms of doing it for the public, so to speak, um, one of the girls who works for me, she, it's her first job out of college. She's 23 and precious and makes me feel really old. Um, but she um, has a degree in design. So she built our entire website. During COVID, when we were in quarantine back in April and we had to shut down, our entire bridal shop had to shut down from March through May. And so Emily, I paid her behind the scenes and she built the entire website. So the entire thing, ha- I was literally drawing on a piece of paper. Here's what I wanted to look like. And she would make it happen. And so I didn't have to get anyone else. It was right there within the family that we have sending it out to the public we did a little countdown we did a social media like three two one big announcement coming soon like we're so excited and we did a photo shoot you know introducing bluebird bridal like here we are we're pumped we changed a few things up in the shop in terms of um, new decor and things like that but nothing else changed and it was uh, knock on wood hands up to whoever was looking over for me it was the most seamless transition I didn't lose anyone No one had any troubles. It actually, I think brought me more exposure than I had before. So I went to the basics again, logo, website, like name, logo, website, legal. Like once you get that, then you can figure the rest of it out. Um, and so we were able, the hardest part I think was making the entire list of everything I had to change the name on like, Oh, Yeah, your Terminex guy who comes to the business to get rid of your spiders. Oh, yeah, they have to be in the new name. So that was harder than anything else remembering who all had the old name. Uh, But it's been a really easy transition. I don't know if I just got lucky or we planned it right. But it was almost like it happened during the quarantine of the pandemic. And then June 1st, we rolled everything back out when we were able to open back up. It was almost like, all right, here we are. We've rebranded into this new name. Um, and I think it just made the excitement because at one, everyone was out of quarantine. So we were pumped to do anything, you know, <laughs> and um, two, you know, we did some fun promotions and fun things on social media. And so I think that was part of it as well.
0: Yeah, I think that's really good. I love that, that story, the fact that you included your team. You didn't just get isolated, which I think is really powerful. Great leaders do that. Um, and the fact that there's meaning to it versus like, hey, you know, whatever, but, and that you were open to it, not being a bird person.
1: <laughs> I, well, thank you. Well, and then people are like, do you want, my mom's like, do you want this bird statue? And I'm like, "Ooh, don't, like, don't go too far, right? Like where you have one <laughs> painting, I'm good. Like, you know, we don't need to take it further.
0: Yeah, and and the other thing that I think is really important too is you said, you know, you, you, you made a conscious choice. Um, you brought in legal counsel that helped you navigate that because you could have tripped over some landmines that you didn't know were there by just, well, we're going to do this. And then all of a sudden you had these unintended consequences that happen. If you don't have good legal or accounting advice and i'm not saying that just because i work for a cpa firm but those two kind of disciplines you you need very much in your corner of somebody that actually gets business versus uh, yeah, yes. you know what i mean how did you I go
1: ahead
0: how did you find your attorney i'm just curious
1: yeah. So I know what I'm good at and I know what I'm not and accounting and attorney like that. That's not my forte. Um, so believe it or not. So my accountant, my CPA has been my CPA for probably a decade. Um, and I found her back through when I first moved to Huntersville, I needed someone to do my taxes cause I can't do them my own. I refuse. I Googled CPA firms in Huntersville. One firm came up. I called, they said, this lady's available. I said, great, I'll take her. And I went in and she has been at three other businesses since and I follow her wherever she gets. Um, And so that's how I got my CPA. It was a good old Google search and she was just available. In terms of my attorney, so when I was working at a printing company, I was heavily involved with our local chamber of commerce. Um, I was on their board of directors. I was an uh, ambassador for their program. And I met this attorney through that, Uh, my attorney, I met him through the chamber of commerce and where I was at later, his daughter came to work for me at the bridal shop. So we continued to keep up with that. He has a really slick old timey convertible car that he let me borrow for a photo shoot one time. So we've (laughs) just become friends. And, um, so I've had him for years and years. And so you have to know, for me in business, I have to know what my forte is. And I don't have any problem. I will pay somebody all day long to handle my accounting, to handle my taxes, to handle my attorney and my legal work. When I first opened the wedding planning company, I did the old legal zoom and there is nothing wrong with legal zoom. I will not bash them whatsoever. I did legal zoom. It was good. I had an LLC. We were perfect. When I realized I was opening a retail business and needed a full blown corporation, I said, Nope, don't know what I'm doing. Call my CPA and was like, just send me a bill. This is what I need you to do. Send me a bill. And so her and I sat down with the rebranding to discuss the different options of do you completely get a new S corp? Do you DBA? What do you do here? And we discussed the whole thing. And ultimately the DBA was the best thing to do. And so she did everything for me and I knew that it would be handled appropriately. So, you know, a Google search and an old timey friend from a chamber of commerce, you know, Lake Norman itself in, in, in this particular market, we're a tight knit group over here. And kind of once you find your person, it's like, yeah, no, I got a guy. No, I got a girl. Like, I'll give you my girl. Like, that's kind of how it works. And um, that's where that came from. And I farm out every month, all accounting, all legal. That is not my forte. I will never pay anyone to do marketing. I will never pay a dime to anyone because I got that covered. But in terms of the other pieces, mm -hmm, I will ship them out.
0: Yeah, I think you got to know what you know and what you know, know what you don't know. And then the, the other thing that you said in that I think is really important, especially in this day and age where, yeah, you can do Google searches and you're lucky that you found somebody that's good, but you, it's kind of a crap shoot, you know, when you do that. You need to know who to call for what. And by doing what you had said, where you did these 16 style shoots in, in a year when other people may do too. Well, you were purposeful about that and you you started building relationships. And that network of trusted relationships is really critical because it helps speed the market on stuff and it helps avoid some landfall, you know, landmines along the way. Um, So I think that's really good. And you've got, you know, instinctively, you've got some really good things there. Now, I know, Ben, you want to go into the pandemic Um, and the, the pivoting, and I want to hear more about that as well. So why don't you go ahead and take it?
2: Yeah, I I do because the businesses you run, we're talking events, weddings, retail, right? All of those have been dramatically affected by the pandemic and things that are completely out of your control. So obviously they've been affected, but I want to start first with how has the pandemic impacted each of the companies separately? And then obviously there's a lot more to go into.
1: Yeah. So for the wedding planning company itself, I mean, astronomical is how it's affected it. And there's no way to say it. Um, You know, with first going into shutdowns and quarantines, and then there's 10 people and then there's 25 people and then there's a hundred and it's constantly changing of how many people can gather in a certain area and what's happening. And so the amount of postponing of weddings, canceling of weddings, eloping, and then next year as a reception, it's massive. Um, this year, I started out the year with me personally having 15 weddings of my own. Ten of them moved to next year. Five still happened, but they happened in a different capacity than maybe they would have initially happened. They happen on a smaller scale. They happened, don't judge, but in South Carolina just across the border. They don't have the same rules and restrictions. So they happened in South Carolina. They happened in someone's backyard that, you know, they were very different than maybe the initial thought process was. So from that perspective, and I won't lie about it because this is the other side of being a business owner that, you know, people need to discuss. My income has taken a drastic hit. Um, for the year 2020 in wedding planning because essentially people pay you when they book and they pay you when the event happens. And so when 60% of my events don't happen, you lose 60% of income. And so the planning event, the planning got hit a lot harder than the bridal shop did. The bridal shop actually went the opposite direction. So we were closed for two months and that was really rough because there's nothing we could do. We did do virtual appointments. Um, which was actually really cool. It was a new concept. We came up with it. We did virtual appointments for two months and were able to sell a few dresses and help some brides out who were driving to Vegas and eloping or going to Jamaica or whatever. We were able to help those out during that time. But whether or not weddings are happening in a different capacity, they're still happening. So people still needed the dresses. So while the numbers have definitely been hit at the bridal shop, it's maybe only about a 20 or 30% hit rather than the 60% hit that you see over at the planning company.
2: And so what are, you mentioned one of the steps of doing virtual and, and kind of tweaking how you're reaching people and serving people, but what are some of those steps that you needed to take just to be able to keep the companies afloat and keep them going?
1: Yeah, well, So for the bridal shop, you know, they had the PPP loan and the small business grants and things like that. I'm not going to lie. I reached out to every one of those things because what I decided I was going to do early on, once I realized that the pandemic was a thing, because in the beginning we're all kind of like, "No, well, I guess we have to stay in for a few days. Yeah, no, a little different, but I was not going to lay anyone off. I refused to, I would, I would, I would Take a less pay cut for myself than I would for the girls that I'm responsible for, and there's only two girls that were that look to me for full time income. Um, The rest of them are independent contractors or things like that. But I was not going to release them, and so in not going to release them, that was a huge part of needing the PPP loan and the EIDLs and all that kind of stuff. But a big thing that I decided to do was we have to go online, we have to go virtual. So we started doing the virtual appointments and we started doing online sales of little white dresses. We have an entire rack of little white dresses for rehearsal, dinner, showers, um, Easter, graduations, whatever it could possibly be. And we pumped the bejesus out of those things. It was, you need a little white dress. You need a little white dress. It was like Oprah. We wanted to give everybody a little white dress. And so that was a really good way to keep the word out there and keep a little bit of money coming in at the bridal shop we also do tuxedos we rent tuxedos for any events that are needed so we pushed that harder because again that was something that even if they were eloping somewhere one guy needed a tuxedo or if they had him and his best man so we pushed hard on the things that maybe were not the bridal dresses to try and receive that additional income so along with receiving a little bit of a loan i took a little bit of less of a pay cut for myself um, because I had the savings and was prepared for that in order to keep my employees afloat. In yeah, term- that, that yeah, shouldn't
2: be, that shouldn't be glossed over either, right? The fact that it wasn't, you're not a solopreneur where you just had to take care of yourself. You had the livelihood of other people in your hands. And so having to make th- those types of decisions of how do I keep businesses afloat and how do I make sure that I'm taking care of myself, but not at the sacrifice or detriment of your team and of your family. Yeah.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. Well, and you know, I'm going to be on again. Another thing to not gloss over. I cut costs anywhere I could. Look, we no no longer need this. Let's get rid of it. No, it's not urgent that we buy that we hoard toilet paper. We we're closed. We can't even get people in our shop. We don't need toilet paper. Don't buy it. You know, like I was looking at different ways too to cut cost as I could, while also trying to pump up for some additional money um, that we we're having. Because during those months of quarantine, we made about twenty five percent what we typically do. And so it was a very low amount that was there. Um, I spoke with the landlord to try and you know extend payments and things like that that I could to to make it a little bit easier. But I just the girls who work with me are my family, and I saw the fear on their faces when the pandemic hit. And I said, "I I got your back. I'll figure it out. You're gonna have they all, all had to work from home. Oh, you don't get to not work. You're at home. You're still working. You're just doing it from home." And so. Um, that was my biggest thing was making sure they felt comfortable.
2: One of the, I think most unique pieces about this pandemic is it's almost forcing creativity, right? There's all of a sudden people are backed into a corner and you got to figure something out or your business isn't going to be there by 2021. And, and so I love that you spoke to some of the things on each end, right? How do I cut costs? How do I take care of my employees? How do I get different sources of revenue? What are some of those changes that you've made that will carry forward in the future where you kind of said, oh, I've got to be creative. I figured some things out. And now you've actually realized that this is something that you're going to be able to keep in your business even post-pandemic.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so some of the places that we cut cost, we left it. This is so silly, but we used to offer snacks to anybody that came into our bridal shop. You want some pretzels? You want some crackers? You want some candy? Nope, you get a mint right? Like, hope you enjoy the mint. Like, you know, and it's not that we're trying to be rude, but nobody eats pretzels while they're trying on a dress. They're fine. And so that was something that was consistently that we were paying for that we no longer are. Um, I did, get, uh, change out like at and to something different to save money. Like there's a handful of small things like that, that we did, um, that will change the income at the bridal shop that I will continue to keep. Um, the other thing that we did at the bridal shop and again, over the course of a year, it's going to matter, but it sounds so silly at this point, we increased the cost of each dress by $15. Um, And we did that because we get charged shipping on every single dress because they're coming from Australia. They're coming from New Jersey. They're coming from Spain. They're coming from somewhere in Europe. They're coming from different places and they charge us shipping on every single dress. And we always never charged anyone the cost. And I'll be completely transparent parent, if there's any of our brides listening, we charge you now $15 to ship that dress. Um, So we, that was a cost that I no longer needed to, to spend and $15 in the grand scheme of things is so minimal, but it's something that we did. Um, On the planning side, I got rid of that office that I had, Um, the office that I had for five and a half years or so. It just became the time that it was eating my money. And so I got rid of it. Now, I am not as productive from home. I work from the bridal shop. I will go, I will sit in the office and I'll do wedding planning from there because I'm more productive with it. But on the on the wedding planning side, getting rid of the office, getting rid of the bills that came along with the office was a very easy way to save a bunch of money. Um, so there wasn't much I could do on that end to make more money. So it was only cutting costs on that business.
2: Yep. Will your efforts in building up the things like tuxedos and the other dresses and things like that, will that marketing, that promotion, will that be able to carry forward as well where now that's a bigger part of your business as well?
1: Oh gosh, I hope so. Yes. Um, it's like we are, we are hoping 2021 will turn around in some sort of capacity. Yeah. uh, Um, we did an amazing job with tuxedos last year. Um, we did prom tuxedos, wedding tuxedos. It was massive. And this year we were set up, for a large year as well, but the pandemic just just killed us with that. But the intent is to continue to do that. The intent is to make a better experience for the guys who come into our store. We recently switched to an online system um, where the men can literally go online and customize their own tuxedo and, and text it to us, send it to us, hey, here's what I want. We've customized it a little bit differently where we're shipping all the tuxedos directly to someone's door rather than them coming to get them from our shop. So there's some changes that we've made there to make the process easier and make people more excited about continuing to use us. Um, so yeah, the hope is absolutely that that will continue into 2021.
0: So I'm curious too. um, one, one thought is and Ben you nailed it and that you said, that sometimes when things get constricted, I, uh, my word's not yours, but when you have constrictions or limitations, it fosters creativity. And I, I find that to be very true as well, having been, I was a designer early in my career, and, um, and we were uh, always, dun- I called it dumpster diving, because I didn't have huge budgets that my competitors did. Um, so we had to outthink and we had to get more creative, but it's like a Venturi tube. Things accelerate when you start narrowing it versus expanding it. Then you've got, you start just kind of scattering, if you will. So I just think that's a really um, powerful thing that I, I would love to have our listeners pay attention to that thing too. Those constrictions can actually be blessings to you don't, you know, don't see them as curses, see them as blessings. And, and, um, you know, you're, you're, you're so scrappy from what I can tell Aaron, like, I love that. There's a street smartness and a scrappiness about you that is infectious. And I also like the fact that you said, um, when, you know, because going from a service business where it's your name and your personality, that's driving a lot of that. To a boutique, which I think is even interesting, the fact that you took names off of the boutique so that it actually was less about you and owners and more about, you know, um, a different persona, if you will. Um, but understanding the uniquenesses of each one of those things, I think is a really powerful thing that a lot of times people don't really think about. Um, when they're thinking about their business. Well, it needs to be me, but you also said, hey, at some point, you know, as I age, I become less effective in that, and, and just having that awareness, because I think there is something to that, you know? You can still defy gravity in certain areas and all that kind of stuff, but um, you, you were planning, and the other thing that I, 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 I I think it's an important thing. You said, Hey, I don't do three and five year plans. And I get that, but you still, that didn't mean that you didn't do planning because there's no way you could have weathered this pandemic. If you weren't planning and you were just, you know, running by the seat of your pants every day, you guys would have gotten caught. So a little bit more about how you did some of that planning uh, and it sounds like you you can be fairly frugal, which is good. You like to shop, but you said you're not necessarily <laughs> hanging out at Gucci all the time or whatever. Um, so talk to us a little bit about some of the stuff that you were doing in that planning and preparation so that you could weather. And even when you started this thing, that you, you could go without having big income for a while.
1: Yeah, absolutely. First, I want to tell you, thank you for calling me scrappy. Not the first time, and I take that as a compliment. Maybe people are like, oh my gosh, but I take that as a compliment, so thank you. Um, And just for the record, if you don't know me, I'm five foot tall and like 95 pounds. So scrappy, I'm like, I got this. Um, So (laughs) in terms of kind of the planning, no, I don't do massive three and five years, but I absolutely do a year in advance, and I'll do quarterly. So it's not that the plans weren't there. The first thing I realized when essentially the biggest time it hit me was when we went into quarantine when the shutdown happened in March and they said, guess what? Close your business doors. You can't open them for seven or eight weeks or whatever it is. I pardon me, but I was like, Oh crap. And I use different terminology there, but we're <laughs> on a podcast, but I said, Oh, for the love. And so when I realized that was happening, I my mom always taught me growing up, you're allowed a minute when bad things happen. You're allowed to take a minute to figure out what's happening. I, I'm gonna have a woe is me moment. What is happening? And then you gotta pull your yourself up and move on because the world will move on. So I took a hot minute and then I said, okay, what are we gonna do differently? And so I had a brainstorm session with my team. So the first thing I love a good brainstorm. Brainstorms to me, there is no right or wrong. It can look like crap on the wall but it can lead you to something really amazing. And so often every month we do staff meetings, we do team events, and they're always brainstorm sessions. What do you see that works? What do you not see that works? And so the first thing in planning was, let's discuss this. How are you guys feeling about the pandemic? What is it that we can do? What is it that we have to sell that isn't not going to require people to come in our doors. Well, we have dresses, we have accessories, we have the ability to set appointments for when we can open. And so we started making a list of everything that we could do to bring revenue in, and then a list of things we could do to cut revenue. So the very first thing that I did was make a list of what's excess crap that I don't need to be spending right now, because we all have that, personal and professional. And then what is it that I can do with the resources that I have to bring stuff in? And so that's the very first thing we did. Was sit down and do a brainstorm and I don't think that I have all the answers, I'll make the final say so, but I definitely think having other people who are in the front lines every day at the business is very beneficial to a brainstorm session. Um, once we made that list, it was okay, what's realistic? You know, what can we actually do? So we have a list, we threw a bunch of spaghetti at a wall, prayed something hit, and here's our list of 12 things. Well, five of them are realistic that we can actually do. And so then in true fashion of Aaron, We immediately do it. There is no waiting. There's no ho and hum. I am a black and white person. This whole gray world thing. I don't love it. I have to work really hard. I know things are gray, but I don't like them. I want them to be black or white. Like I don't like this middle of the road. And so when something is realistic, I'm like, well, what are we waiting on? Let's do it. And so we started immediately putting those things into motions. I made the phone calls if I needed to, to make adjustments on payments. I immediately said to um, Emily, who does our graphics, hey, I need you to put together a four-day social media campaign on accessories. Great, that was her job. Danielle, who works for me, who is, Our mother of the group she is amazing she is our organizer she is the one who keeps us on task where the rest of us are like creative apples right she is this no no ladies like we have to do this and so she was the one who was like let's keep this together and so it was really nice having all of us be able to do it together so even if you're a solo entrepreneur and you have to create a list of something call up two people that you fully trust Call me. If you don't know me, I'll be honest. I don't care. Call me up and I'll help you. But reach out to two people that you fully trust to get their opinions and ideas because some size an outsider is so beneficial because when you're in the midst of something and you're rolling in that vortex, you can't always see what the outside has. Um, so the biggest thing that we switched to was social media. I have never been gung ho social media. I have to be honest. I like Facebook, whatever. I'll scroll and read some stories, look at some cat videos, whatever. And Instagram is nice for inspiration. And I love that. But I was never gung-ho about it because it just, maybe I feel like I'm older than I am. And part of me said that with social media, I don't have the control on that. If Facebook wants to close down tomorrow, they can. And so if I relied 100% on my business, then I'm screwing myself. And so I never really got involved. And then I hired this cute little 22-year-old who was like, guess what? I do social media. And I was like, okay, like, sure. Like, go ahead. You can do it, whatever. And she has taken it and run with it. And by golly, if I could pay that girl a million dollars, I would. Um, she has really increased our social media presence, our game, if you want to call it that, and has done an extensive amount. And that was huge during this pandemic, huge. Because I was able to reach everybody who couldn't come into the store, who either didn't feel comfortable, they were in quarantine, they don't live here, their wedding got postponed, but they're still having an engagement party, whatever it is. And she really put us bigger on the map for social media. And so that is an area that I'm now like, all right, fine, we really got to get into this. For my industry and what I do, it is massive. And so I think that was the biggest part of the plan. The plan was, all right, if we're doing social media to increase awareness, what are we going to do? And so that's when that kind of rolled into play. But I made the, what can I decrease? What can I increase? And what's realistic? I'm a very realistic person. Ben knows this because Ben and I have had discussions from a money standpoint. I live in a real world. not I live in an actual world, not like, oh, you could potentially do this. And so in my actual world, I had X amount of dollars and needed X amount of dollars. And so we had a goal board. It was kind of like, you know, those fundraisers where you get the thermometer and you color them in till you get to a certain place. It wasn't that, but it was almost like a countdown. And so the whole team could see, we want to sell this. We want to reach this. And there's a prize at the end when we do it. It's like kindergarten. Like you get a gold star for what you've done. But as women, that let me tell you, as a woman, oh, you get a gold star. You tell me my, you tell me I'm amazing. You write me a card. You hang the moon. And so I learned quickly in working with a bunch of women that that was an area to get them involved and get them excited, and be on the same team to reach the same goal. And so we did countdowns. We did social media campaigns. We decreased money. We stopped giving people pretzels. I mean, anything we could do is what we did. Yeah. I, don't, I think it was much more than you wanted to hear, Gary, but well, I just gave it there.
0: <laughs> I love every bit of that. And it's so funny. I'm laughing because we just had on our show a couple guests ago, Michelle Tuno-Bulo of um, Bella Tuno. Um, and she, she's an amazing uh, female entrepreneur as well. But she she did the same sort of thing with the... The rising thermometer thing.
1: <laughs> Maybe it's a female thing. We all need to have a rising thermometer because it works and you, and even better, I would let them color it in. I'd be like, Ooh, who wants to color into the $12 spot? You know, and I'd be like fighting over a marker. Like it was crazy. <laughs>
0: well, it's funny because, uh, I also coach some CEOs and their management teams. And there is an aspect of whether you're male or female, we like to win and and there there's and and work should be fun, and so you you gamified it a little bit, and a little healthy competition in in a healthy and a fun environment it is very motivating and If you can do some themes and you 've got inclusion of the team versus a top down edict it 's just it 's magical, and again, these are really simple concepts, but a lot of times we overcomplicate things and we miss the simple stuff that's really the powerful stuff. You've, you've had some amazing nuggets in this uh, episode, Aaron. Um, and I also think, you know, the, the Instagram thing, in your world, it's so visual, right? It's so visual. And that's a great place for you to be. And I think there is a risk to the the fact that, yeah, they could turn off that faucet like immediately then what are you going to do so you got to kind of keep paying attention to what else is out there you know the whole tick tock thing and all whatever but um oh, well. so you know saw you was an instagram post that we put up there and i don't have a ton of followers on instagram but nonetheless tana saw you there
1: <laughs> yeah I love Miss Tana. We became such good friends. We did multiple events together. Her daughter got married in November, and it was just the best time. We had the best time, so we became good friends over the course of a year.
0: There, there are some very crystal clear similarities between you and Tana. Um, that is
1: a compliment, Gary. Thank you for that. I respect her wholeheartedly as not only as a human being, but you know certainly in the business that she does too. So.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I see some, <laughs> I see some amazing similarities there. So, um, I don't know, man, Ben, I, I feel like we've got just a treasure trove of great information here that uh, you're super engaging, Aaron. Um, I hope people go check you out on Instagram and, uh, LinkedIn and everywhere else. Uh, so Ben, you want to take us to where we can find. Yeah.
2: yeah so <clears throat> first off, Aaron, thanks for coming on. You're you're always so inspiring and having you in my circle. You were talking about getting the, the outsiders' opinions. You and I look at yep. things so differently. So being able to, to pick your brain and run ideas past you, it's 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 amazing to have you in my circle. So thank you so much for coming on. Um, thank we'll put links obviously for everything in the show notes, but but make sure you go to Aaron Paget Events uh, and Bluebird Bridal on, on Instagram. And we'll do links to your websites as well. Is there anything else you want them checking out or, or any other place you want them going?
1: No, I mean, I appreciate this so much. I'm just like you guys are big entrepreneurs and I love it. And any little bits and nuggets I can give other people, I'm happy to. So no, nothing else needed.
2: Well, perfect. Well, thank Great you so job. much. Aaron.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Erin. thank you. And Ben, thank you. You're an amazing guy too. Um, and we'll look forward to getting this thing up here soon. I can't wait for everybody to hear it. Perfect, thanks.
1: Sounds great, thank you.